Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hands-On Safety. Uh, we've had a little bit of a hiatus uh, over the holidays, as usual. We usually take the month of December off, um, but we're glad to be back with y'all in the new year, 2023, and bring y'all hopefully a, another year of great shows. Looking forward to what will happen over the next year. So today we have some guests, which I always enjoy. Um, we have our regulars, Megan. Hello, everyone. And George. Hey, everyone. How you doing? And our guests today are Christine Grassman and Braden Flax. Hi there. Hello, everyone. So, uh, Christine, you and I have known each other for... I guess a little over a year. Um, we met in DC and I have been following you on Facebook and following uh, all the things that you're involved in, whether it's dragon boat racing or working with emergency management. And I have been fascinated by your work with emergency management. So tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and tell us what you do. Okay. Um, this is Christine and I um, am a middle-aged woman um, who is a conflict resolution specialist for the Department of Education. During the pandemic, um, we started, of course, as many hat did, uh, working from home remotely. Uh, at the time, uh, my husband still lived in New York. I had transplanted to Virginia in January 2019 to take the job at the Department of Education. And during the pandemic, for most of it, I was alone, uh, luckily with um, my wonderful cat Pixie, who kept my sanity stable, um, or largely stable. But one of the things that that I began to realize during the pandemic is that I needed something. I needed something to focus my attention on aside from work. Couldn't go out anywhere, couldn't socialize. Yeah, there were the Zoom meetings and, you know, the conversations with friends, you know, the, the midnight and late night uh, panic attacks that... Oh, yeah. You know, we helped each other with and, and that kind of thing. There was reading, there was writing, you know, poetry, catharsis, all of that stuff. But I needed something else to focus my attention. I had during the pandemic, um, very early in the pandemic, I had been elected to um, be president of an NFB chapter, the Potomac chapter in the NFB of Virginia. And during that process, somebody reached out to the chapter from our local, at the time, Arlington, I lived in Arlington at the time, community emergency response team, and they were looking to diversify their response team. And they were looking specifically at people with disabilities because they had very few, if not, if any at all. Mm -hmm. I was super interested in pursuing this because when I was growing up, I really wanted to be involved in the health profession somehow. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be a research, somebody involved in research. And my key interests were earth science, space science, and health science. And I was basically told as I grew up, there really isn't any way for a blind person. I am, for all intents and purposes, totally blind. I have some light perception, uh, reasonably substantial facial vision, and um, you know, I had at the time some color perception and shadow mm -hmm. perception. I now have prosthesis, so that really doesn't um, factor. Facial vision still is is quite good. Um, but um, other than that, that's that's all I have. And I was not encouraged in any way, shape, or form to pursue science, even though mm -hmm. I was super interested in it. Right. Um, so when I heard about this, I said, you know what? 
they're interested. They're reaching out. That basically signaled to me they would be willing to work with me on accommodating and finding ways to make whatever needed to be accessible, accessible. So I reached out to Les Garrison, who at the time was the coordinator for the Arlington Community Emergency Response Team. He's now kind of a coordinator emeritus. Um, It has been moved to someone else. And I spoke with Les, um, and he basically told me in order to become to receive your basic training in this uh, community emergency response, you first have to get a FEMA student ID. You have to take two courses that talked about the national, um, basically the national uh, emergency service, Um, its structure, how it operated before you could become uh, trained in CERT. So there were two courses that you needed to take. So first I was like, oh goodness, when I go to the FEMA site, am I going to have trouble getting the student ID? Am I going to have trouble taking the courses? So I went to the FEMA site. It actually was pretty easy to get my student ID. I have to say out of all the government websites that I've encountered and that I've worked with, including USA.gov, including (laughs) my own Department of Education, FEMA is one of the best there were very few quirky, weird things that I had to do to work around. I Every time I say that out loud, I I feel like Murphy is standing over my shoulder going, ha ha, you just wait. Right. Um, Next update. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am so nervous about it changing because I have been singing its praises. So I really, really hope that FEMA folk don't change the website. It does have some issues, especially with Safari. It works a lot better with Chrome. I have not used it with Edge. I have not used it with Firefox. You can get it to work with Safari. It is better with Chrome. I hate saying that as an Apple person, but it's true. It happens. Um, And I think that's true of most government websites uh, or work either with Chrome or Edge. Yeah. Um, So, and I, I think there's you know, to a certain extent with Edge, there's there's a Microsoft, um, you know, kind of uh, preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use Outlook, we use Office products in the government, and I think that's fairly standard. So I think that's probably why. Um, and we also know that Apple's very proprietary. So when, you know, develop, when, when um, developers go to try to make websites accessible, even though Apple does have free development tools, uh, developer tools. um, I don't know that people put the time in. I could be wrong about that, but it does seem to be that they do lag behind. And that's really unfortunate because when those developer tools are used, it tends to be that Apple is really, really good and making itself accessible. Um, right. The recent Siri issues, notwithstanding, um, <laughs> but that's another. We won't go issue. down that rabbit hole, though. No, that, that's a that's a rabbit hole right there. Um, but anyway, I I reached out and it was pretty easy to get my student ID, and I signed up for the two courses and I took them. Um, it took um, only because I needed to also work. <laughs> right. I It took me two separate days to do it, but I could have done it in one. If I had spent the whole day, I was able to take the course. I was able to play the videos. I was able to click on the extra information. I was nice. able to take the exams. Um, I was able to, with a little more difficulty, access my certificate um, in PDF form and download it and send it to the Arlington CERT 
assisted me with putting it up on Volunteer Hub. Um, there was a little difficulty with that, um, but they've assisted me with that, and I was set to go. So then the next thing was taking the course. I think if I recall correctly, it was 10 weeks. Um, twice a week. So it was a Wednesday evening and a Saturday morning. Um, they would send me the slides um, a day or two before so that I could check the Microsoft PowerPoint slides for, for accessibility. Mm -hmm. And if I had difficulty with them, I would reach out to them and say, I'm having trouble with this. Um, they were really good about going over it. They were good about having me unmute during the class to ask questions. Um, they really did provide me with excellent materials. They told me about the manual that they would be using. I was able to find an older manual on Bookshare, but it was largely up to date. Um, and anything that I needed to, to you know, ask about, I would just ask them. There was an exam at the end of the class. Um, and, they allow, and they said to me, you know, if you want to send your answers ahead of time, you can do that instead of, you know, sitting in the class to take the class. Um, that went well, got certified, um, and I was good to go. Now, of course, this was all virtual at the time because this was during the pandemic. Right, right. Um, so I am now um, looking forward to finally taking the hands-on training next month. I have had some hands-on training in a course called Until Help Arrives, which is basically what do you do to, to ensure that people have the best chance possible um, of surviving and, um, you know, being ready for uh, first responders to come. So it's before first responders come. What can you do if it is safe enough to do so to make it more likely that this person will survive or that this person will get the correct help um, in a situation, whether it's a one-off or whether it's a, you know, a, a multiple casualty, casualty incident um, so I took that course and that's where I got some hands-on training in using a tourniquet and using hemostatic bandages and packing a wound, um, which are all the things that I was nervous about doing. So next month, um, I will be doing the quote refresher, which is the hands-on for people who are already trained. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a meeting the other day. They asked me to have a meeting with them to the Two of the people providing the class asked me to have a meeting with them, and we talked about how, and they said to me, how can we ensure that you receive the hands-on training that you need? We talked about um, using a fire extinguisher um, for a simulated fire, where they use a propane tank, um, basically, a, a, it's, it's like a large propane stove, basically, and they can control the fire, so they press a a button, basically the propane starts to flow, they ignite and you have this, you know, whoosh of flame and you use a fire extinguisher to put it out. Right. Um, we talked about that. I, I told them it would be best. And, and this is my instance, this might work for some, maybe not for others. But one of the things I described was getting to look at the fire extinguisher first, uh, getting to know where the trigger is, where the nozzle was, and getting experience and holding it in the right position and doing the pass that you need to do, um, basically starting from the top of the fire, starting from the left side, sweeping from left to right to put out the fire. Um, and just getting a sense of what that's going to feel like when the fire is actually started. Um, this is taking place at a firehouse training academy. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So they will have fire department people on hand. Um, We're also going to work on packing wounds, using tourniquets, um, all of those things. They're also going to work on crimping, which is um, moving rubble, uh, moving heavy uh, materials in order to get to people who are, say, in a collapsed building, say, situation. Um, So we're going to work on that. And they asked me, how can we assist you with, with that? You know, and we talked about that. So they really listened um, and they were taking notes. Um, And I also noticed that there are on our calendar coming up, they have a number of workshops that they're going to have discussions about, including people with disabilities in emergency response and also ensuring that responders are appropriately trained um, in in the means by which they can treat people with disabilities appropriately in, in a respectful manner and ensuring that they have dignity and ensuring that their needs are taken into account um, in an emergency response situation. So I am really excited about that. I also, we recently had a, um, what we called CERTCON. Um, mm-hmm. So we had a little mini convention during the weekend uh, where I did a presentation um, about my experiences with them, but also about what I'm going to um, now veer into. And Braden is going to hop on now because this is where he became involved. Um, so prior to the hands-on experience that I'm getting here, I had been some time ago certified in CPR and I had not kept up with that. The pandemic interfered. I had moved from New York to here and I wanted to get my CPR certification again. So we are, Braden and I are both part of a dragon boat racing team. I don't know how many people are familiar with that. I'll, I'll get a little into that if you want me to describe it further at some point, but it basically provides an avenue for us to get a fantastic workout team, you know, to be part of a competitive sports team as blind and visually impaired people. One of the coaches, uh, her husband, um, not one of our coaches, but one of the greater club, the DC club, dragon boat club, um, coach her coaches her husband is a CPR instructor mm-hmm. and he was offering discounted um, CPR certification so I thought okay you know so Braden uh, my husband Gary and I uh, we signed up and we took the online course that we needed to take and then we went and were certified in adult CPR uh, but I wanted to be certified in pediatric CPR um, and and have more first aid training. So I started looking for specific companies and organizations that provided this at low cost or no cost, or at least at the very least, provided these courses very accessibly and would take into account accommodations. Yeah, that's Um, something I'm struggling with at work. Um, Yeah, we have, yeah, we have CPR refresher training quarterly, and it's it's a computer guided program with a mannequin, and so it it pretty much takes having someone go with me every time and right and get through that process for for both the adult and pediatric. So first, I reached out to Pacific ADA um, because they have some fantastic, and you probably know this. They have some fantastic emergency response and disaster preparedness tools and workshops for people with disabilities. They have some really good stuff. Um, and I've been registered in some of my cert 
teammates have registered for some of their workshops. They had something on, um, you know, guide dogs and service dogs in emergencies. They've had, you know, treating people with dignity, how to, uh, how to properly respond to people who are blind, to people who are neurodivergent, to people who have hearing loss. So they have some really great stuff. So I reached out to them and um, tried to email them and ask them, hey, what can I do to bring this to my region mm-hmm. um, in, in Virginia? And I never received a response. And every time I tried to contact them, you had to basically pick one of the states in the Pacific ADA region. So I would just say, okay, I'll go with Arizona, whatever. And, right. <laughs> you know, and But I never received a response. So I reached out to my region. And it was like a circular thing. Oh, you know, we don't we don't do this. Uh, Pacific ADA does this. So please reach out to them. Right. And I thought to myself, you know, we shouldn't have to go outside of our region. Every region should have this. Absolutely. This is an ADA network. This is something that every region should be doing um, and incorporating. And you don't necessarily have to replicate it, but you should certainly be able to you know, reach out and ensure that the regions are sharing information, sharing um, resources, materials, training, offer links to, you know, what the Pacific ADA is doing, offer responses. I ask them for materials. Do you have, do you have knowledge of materials that I can get in Braille or that I can Mm -hmm. get? And, and they basically said, oh, you know, we, this is not our, this is not what the region does. Pacific ADA, this is their baby. Yeah. And I just thought that was absurd, especially since if it is their baby, then they should be able to, you know, offer the resources and respond to people from different regions if, right. if the local regions aren't doing it. So that really aggravated me. Um, and I said to myself, if, if you want to reach people, if you want people with disabilities to be properly included in both being prepared for and learning how to prepare for and assisting others, whether with disabilities or not, you need to be able to provide this on a, on a, you know, a large basis. This needs to be inclusive of region, not just inclusive of people with disabilities. Right. Um, so I just thought that was absurd. Um, I finally came across a, a, an organization called Accessibility Incorporated. They were in Washington, D.C. And they're at accessible-solutions.org. Um, and I went to them and it, it, it looked essentially to me like it was a job training program, like it was assisting people with low English proficiency and immigrants. And it is, in fact, that. However, they also had CPR and first aid and AED. Um, that's, autom- uh, oh my goodness, brain, help that's me a, out here. Is that it, the defibrillator? electronic defibrillator. Is that yeah. right, Braden? Okay. Um, I don't know what happened to Braden, but um, I think it's automated electronic. Uh, automatic. Um, it may be external defibrillator. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. I think it is external. Yes. And I'm sure that um, a lot of people are at least somewhat familiar with these. These have voice prompts. They are absolutely accessible. Yes. If you know, you know, there are different versions of them. So you need to know which button does what. Some of them you can switch from adult to pediatric. Some don't have that. Some have, you know, pads that are for adults and or, you know, uh, children. Some Mm -hmm. of them have the pads for adults. Most commercial buildings have them. Most high-rise residential buildings have them. So, you know, this, this was something that we wanted to 
become certified in. And I asked Brayden, I said, do you want to, you know, work with me on getting this to be more accessible? I'm making this more available to people with disabilities. And he had just graduated from college uh, and he and I did the online course. Um, We had to go to the Red Cross Learning Center to take it through Accessibility Incorporated. They are a Red Cross provider. Mm -hmm. And we went to the Red Cross Learning Center to take this. And we got through the courses, the online courses, before you had to go be assessed um, in person. But we had to really work at it. We had to call for sighted assistance. Um, I had to ask my husband, Gary, who has some functional vision to assist us in getting things started and restarting the program. The way they had the program set up, um, a lot of the videos and a lot of the questions required that you see what went on in the videos or required that you look at a picture and respond to it. The radio buttons that you had to respond to the questions were, were not checked. So basically you'd have choices Mm. But it didn't say radio button. So if you if you chose it, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And you didn't right. know until you said, okay, you know, submit. And this was difficult because sometimes we had to retake certain questions over and over again because you had to get 75% of it right. And sometimes there were three out of four questions. So you basically right. had to get had three to have it all. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, no, you had to get 80%. So in order to do that, you had to get all of them right. Mm-hmm. because 70 if you got three out of four of 75 percent, so that wasn't enough so you had to keep going over and over so it took us extra time to take this when we went to take the cpr instructor course um which you know was much more expensive of course because you have the ability to teach others and therefore you know make some money teaching um we discovered that it was worse um that taking the instructor course was even more of a challenge on the Red Cross Learning Center. Now, I reached out three times to the Red Cross Learning Center. I was told that they'd get back to me. They had my, my you know, you know when they give you a number, your complaint oh, number, right. your yes. number. They never did. Um, and so I told Martin Ayaba, who was the CEO of Accessibility Incorporated, of the issues that we were having. Um, he reached out to the Red Cross. We actually had a meeting with some of their folks I learned at that meeting that the Perkins School had also reached out. They wanted their students to learn CPR, not to become instructors, but to learn CPR and first aid and such. And they were having issues um, with the accessibility. So now within a short time of each other, they heard from myself and they heard from Perkins. And so the, the Red Cross sent people to Accessibility Incorporated. We had a conversation. They said, you know, we'll get back to you. We have had a meeting with some tech technical folks um, Mm -hmm. since then. One meeting, um, nothing further. We've been reaching out, no response. So that's that's a little upsetting considering that the Red Red Cross has some of the best resources going. They do have some excellent apps, which are largely accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, A number of them, they have swimming safety, they have CPR, they have first aid. They're really quite good. They have some excellent information. For the most part, they are accessible. But they also do have, for example, an ebook associated with uh, being a CPR instructor, being first aid, and those they have their own e-reader, and it is problematic because as you read through it, it often repeats, so you're wasting time. So I reported that as well. 
we really have not moved forward with more access with respect to Red Cross. So I'm certainly hoping that perhaps some of your listeners will go check out redcross.org and, and the Red Cross Learning Center and write to them and say, hey, you know, we'd like to be able to access your courses and your materials, and you really need to make some changes. It's my intention to work, to reach out to Perkins and let them know that we had this conversation to encourage them to continue to have the conversation. So that's where we yeah. started. That's where Braden and I started with this need to have more access. But we've we've basically, Martin was excited about this opportunity because what he wants to do is he wants to be able to work with us to provide to people with disabilities, starting with the blindness community, merely because Braden and I feel most comfortable telling Martin and working with others as to what most, I don't want to speak for all blind people. Sure. I never sure. want to do that. But I, I do, you know, what most people with either a little functional vision or no vision at all, what is needed to make these courses accessible? For example, touching the mannequins before the course starts, knowing what they feel like, knowing what, how to tell if when you push down on the mannequin in the right place, what does that click feel like when you're doing the CPR uh, compressions properly? What does it sound like? And what does it feel like when you give a rescue breath, you know, and the mannequin chest uh, falls and then rises again? What does it sound like? How do you tell how to put on a pocket mask or um, a Braden, what's the other thing called? A face shield, you know, and recognizing one of the things that I that I told Martin and that Braden and I both decided is that if we ever need to help somebody, we are not going to bother with the latex-free gloves. We could probably learn how to operate with them on, but we will. We are willing to accept the risk um, of not wearing the gloves if it means that we will provide better care for somebody who needs it in that moment. Um, and that's a decision that. we can make, you sure. know, and, you know, you always have to make a decision when you're assisting someone in a safety situation. Is this safe for me first? That's the first rule they tell you. Mm-hmm. You can't help someone if you get hurt. You can't yes. help someone if something happens to you. And now, now you've given first responders or somebody else another victim. So if, if, you know, you can't do it safely, you either ask someone for help or you describe what needs to be done. Um, to somebody who can help better, or you have to get the person out of that situation if you're capable of doing that, all, all of that stuff. So I've been babbling. So let me, <laughs> I've been rambling on. Um, I want to give Braden an opportunity. Braden has been doing some research and has been reaching out to some other folks, uh, developers, people with access, technology experience to try to determine how we can go about um, assisting the Red Cross or others with making their stuff more accessible. And then after Braden's done with that, I'm going to talk about how we've expanded our, not just making this accessible, but trying to make products and other training and resources, or at least finding and creating a repository of accessible training resources and materials for people with disabilities so that they cannot just become prepared for an emergency or disaster, but that they can also become partners, equal partners in assisting in an emergency or disaster situation. Yeah. And I, while you were, while you were talking about the Red Cross and, and the accessibility, my mind is just like, who all do I know that knows how to do accessible web work? (laughs) Can I reach out to them and get them involved? 
Well, that's what Brady's been doing. My mind was doing the same thing, Leslie. (laughs) The Hands-On Safety Team will be back next time for part two of this engaging content. Stay following.